This show is brought to you by Audible. Get your free audiobook download by visiting audiblepodcast.com slash best. Now welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from The Colbert Report, Counterspin, The Progressive Magazine, Rachel Maddow, The Onion Radio News, Tom Hartman, NPR, and The Young Turks. Now, folks, the Supreme Court may be back in session, but I'll do the judging. Tip of the hat, wag of the finger. (laughs) Folks, I am a huge fan of the Bible. It affirms my most fundamental beliefs. Man is sinful. We are redeemed only through the grace of God. And Justin has left Jessica for Rihanna. (laughs) That last one's either from the Bible or Us magazine. I keep them both by the toilet. But even the inerrant word of God has its flaws, which is why I am giving a tip of the hat to Conservapedia, a conservative online reference tool modeled on Wikipedia, which is trying to create a conservative version of the Bible because they say the Bible is full of liberal media bias. And that is so true, folks. After all, the Bible says Jesus fed the poor. It should say he fed the rich and let the loaves and fishes trickle down. (laughs) Now, thank you. Conservapedia wants its users to identify pro-liberal terms used in existing Bible translations. For instance, in the Bible it says, The meek shall inherit the earth. Liberal (laughs) claptrap. Clearly what Jesus meant was, the meek shall inherit the earth if we can repeal the federal estate tax. Seriously, 45% for estates over 3.5 million? Spareth me. (laughs) Conservapedia, Conservapedia also calls for users to express free market parables. Hey, I've said it before. Instead of throwing out the money changers from the temple, Jesus should have offered a competing credit card with a low introductory rate and a rewards program. Over 300 points gets you eternal salvation, though some blackout dates apply. January 3rd edition of Fox News Sunday, former Fox anchor Britt Hume suggested that Tiger Woods turn to Christianity to get through his current troubles. Said Hume, quote, he is said to be a Buddhist. I don't think that faith offers the kind of forgiveness and redemption that is offered by the Christian faith. My message to Tiger would be, Tiger, 
turn to the Christian faith, and you can make a total recovery and be a great example to the world. Close quote. A day later on Fox's O'Reilly Factor, Hume said his advice to Woods was not proselytizing, but he just thinks, quote, Jesus Christ offers Tiger Woods something that Tiger Woods badly needs, close quote. Okay, the religious chauvinism in Hume's remarks received some attention, but there was something else curious in what he said. Immediately after O'Reilly asked him whether he was proselytizing, Hume said, quote, Tiger Woods is somebody I've always rooted for as a golfer and as a man. I greatly admired him over the years, and I always have said to people it was the content of his character that made him, beyond his extraordinary golf skills, so admirable. Now we know that the content of his character was not what we thought it was, close quote. While the comment is patronizing enough on its own, Woods doesn't need Brit Hume rooting for him as a golfer, let alone as a man. But with Hume borrowing the content of his character line from Martin Luther King, it's hard not to hear Hume always saying to people that Woods ought not be judged by the color of his skin. In other words, don't think of him as a black man because, well, you know, he's one of the good ones. Now, in Hume's view, Woods needs Jesus' seal of approval to regain his status. Won't you help to sing These songs of freedom Cause all I ever have Redemption songs Redemption songs Emancipate yourselves from mental slavery None but ourselves can free our minds Have no fear for atomic energy Cause none of them can stop the time How long shall they kill our prophets While we stand aside and look Some say it's just a part of it We've got to fulfill the book Won't you help to sing My guest tonight is trying to create a conservative Bible. We already have that. It's called the Bible. Please welcome Andy Schlafly. Thanks so much for coming on. Sorry, sorry, I want to talk to you for the longest time. And to tell you one thing, sir, thank you. Thank you for taking the Internet back for conservatives. <laughs> Barack Obama got elected with his little web let people out there raising money. John McCain had a Commodore 64 and a tape machine. <laughs> tell, tell the people here about Conservapedia. What, what is it you're trying to do with your conservative version of Wikipedia? Conservapedia is a free online encyclopedia, and it has courses, free courses. What can you learn? What, what can they teach you? They teach you economics, American history, world history, and it's been... Not Keynesian economics, right? No, no. No, no, no. no, no. We stay away from that. Yeah. No, no. Free market economics. Mm -hmm. And we've helped hundreds of teenagers get into top colleges, including one who's here in your studio audience. We've really? been blessed with 140 million page views. And the reason people are coming to us is because we're concise, unlike Wikipedia. We have no gossip. No gossip. No gossip? No gossip. Oh, come on. <laughs> have a little gossip. And we have no liberal bias. Thank you. Thank you. 
There's far too much liberal bias on Wikipedia. What are some of the examples um, that you see of liberal bias on Wikipedia? Let's take the example of abortion. I just looked at that a couple hours ago. First of all, hilarious subject. Go on. Well, I apologize. <laughs> no, 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 absolutely. It's good for a couple of laughs. Go on. Abortion does cause some medical harm to the mother, some long-term harm. It's hard to deny. I have seen those studies. One of the problems with those studies, and, I, and I'm glad you brought it up, is that they've come under criticism because it turned out that some of those studies were funded by fetuses. And so... <laughs> There's questioning, you know, whether there is a conflict of interest there. Now, um, I went to Conservapedia, and I did all my research for this interview on Conservapedia, and I want to say it is an honor to sit down with one of the signers of the Magna Carta. <laughs> Thank you so much for being here. Um, do we need encyclopedias at all, sir? Why can't we just go to the Bible? All the answers are there. It is the only well, inerrant book. There are no mistakes in it, correct? A lot of the answers are there. And Isaac Newton, for example, credited his insights to the work he did translating the Bible, not just reading the Bible. He came up with gravity when I a Bible fell out of a tree. <laughs> yeah. Not only did Newton credit his work in translating the Bible, he said everyone else he knew who translated the Bible also had terrific other insights. So it's a marvelous activity, and what we've done is we've opened up the translation of the Bible for the first time to the general public. For people to come forward, the best of the public to come forward and work at translating now, the I Bible. I love that phrase, best of the public, because I believe that there's the public and then there's the best of the public. <laughs> what, what is it, because, because the best of the public went on to your conservative Bible project to put me into it. To make me Moses, okay? And you took it out. Why'd you do that? Well, the best of the public made me a biblical figure. Well, Stephen, it wasn't just Moses they made you. Then they made you Noah for Noah's Ark. And then, I, I hope... <laughs> hey, when the hard rain comes down, don't come crawling to me. But, but who determines what the best of the public is? You say best of the public, not experts. Who determines the best it, of the public? It's like the Olympics. There's a process that brings out the best. So that when you get to the you final mean race. Sponsorship by the Colbert Nation? <laughs> what, who decides who the best of the public is? Do you decide who it's, the best no, of the public it, it's, is? It's a process so it becomes clear when the final race is run. But who makes it clear? Because I, I, I determine what's real in my world. Who determines what's real in your it, world? It, Don't you ultimately becomes, edit what these people put in? It's a, Don't you ultimately no, edit what these people put in? But lots of us edit it. it it's Who's a, lots it's of us? Process. Who are these experts? Because I want to be one of them because I believe in the conservative worldview and I want to create my own reality the way you are. But there are no definitive experts. <laughs> because you believe, you believe in multiple realities, right? There no, isn't just no. Is there one reality? No, quite is there the, one objective reality, there is. sir? Yes, there, there is. One objective reality. It's I agree like, with you. It's like the development of mathematics. You don't vote to decide whether 2 plus 2 equals 4 or 2 plus 2 equals 5. It becomes clear over time. As the mathematicians work on it, the truth rises to the top. So who are the mathematicians who are working on it? It's, it's open to the public. But who took the public's insertion of me into the Bible out? Who did it was, that? It was, <laughs> it was if another, it's open source, how could you take it out? It, it was another member of the public who took it out. 
And so if my folks go back in, they could put that stuff back in? They could, but then it would come out again. And the person who did that, the person who has, if I may, discredited himself by insisting on something that isn't true, then gets politely removed from the site. But how do you know it's not true? <laughs> isn't, the truth, isn't the truth just what we agree upon? No, the truth... But you've said there's no such thing as an objective no, fact. No, 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 I believe in objective truth, and it becomes clear over time. It's like a criminal trial. But who makes it no. clear? <laughs> who, to whom does it become clear, and who decides whether it's clear or not? It's the jury. It's over time. Is it well, a just jury way, of my peers? Just the way a legal press... Yeah, jury of your peers. But my peers are the nation, and they put me on the site. Why would you... <laughs> People have a mistaken idea that Jesus was liberal. What's the most ridiculous myth about Jesus being a liberal? Most of Jesus' parables were economic parables, and they were free market parables. He gave one man five talents. He gave another man two talents. He gave the third man one talent. The man who had five made five more. He was rewarded. He was commended. The one who had two made two more. He was commended. The one who had one didn't make any more, and he was sent to hell. And people forget that when Jesus said, if someone asks for your coat, give him your cloak as well, the end of that is, but charge him double. <laughs> Mr. Schlafly, thank you so much for thank joining us. Andy Schlafly, Constructopedia.com. Imagine the three American evangelicals had gone over to Rwanda just before the genocide to attend a conference on the hidden and dark agenda of the Tutsis and that one of the evangelicals compared his effort to dropping a nuclear bomb against the Tutsi agenda. We'd all be outraged, and rightfully so. But when a similar thing is happening right now in Uganda and the scapegoats are gay people, not enough of us are taking note. There was a shocking New York Times story on Monday on just this situation in Uganda. Last spring, three U.S. evangelicals attended a conference there on the so-called gay agenda in Uganda and how the gay movement is evil.
In the months that followed their visit, a Ugandan politician introduced a bill to impose the death penalty on gays and lesbians. You want to know the name of the three American evangelicals? Well, here they are. Don Schmier of Exodus International, Caleb Lee Brundage, who describes himself as an ex-gay, and Scott Lively, who writes books telling parents how to recruit-proof their kids. Lively, by the way, consulted with the Ugandans on their legislation and uttered the remark about the nuclear bomb against the gay agenda. Those three need to be condemned for their actions, and lethal hatred should not be an American export. I'm Matt Rothschild, and that's how I see it. Today on the continent of Africa, nearly 30 million people have the AIDS virus, including 3 million children under the age 15. Ladies and gentlemen, seldom has history offered a greater opportunity to do so much for so many. Tonight I propose the emergency plan for AIDS relief, a work of mercy beyond all current international efforts to help the people of Africa. A legitimately moving moment in President Bush's State of the Union address back in the year 2003. When all was said and done after two terms of the Bush administration, American help fighting HIV and AIDS in Africa was one marquee issue of compassionate conservatism that Mr. Bush could brag about in trying to shape his legacy for historians. And he did come back and talk about the issue at the end of his presidency to remind people about that. The issue of AIDS in Africa indeed became one of the hallmark causes for a lot of different conservatives who wanted to keep the compassionate conservatism idea alive. Conservatives like Kansas Senator Sam Brownback. It's amazing how grateful people are for uh, uh, if you save, uh, help save their lives. Uh, the approval ratings of the United States and Africa are the highest continent uh, in the world. But it's not just that these conservative religious politicians have a generic continent-wide engagement on the issue of AIDS in Africa. The involvement that these politicians have had has largely been focused on one specific country, Uganda. When President Bush came into office, Uganda was one of the success stories in Africa when it came to fighting AIDS. Their success was built around a strategy called ABC. ABC stood for abstinence, be faithful, and condoms. In other words, first abstain from sex, otherwise be monogamous, otherwise use condoms. And condom billboards, condom promotion uh, was evident all over the nation of Uganda. This effort to combat HIV and AIDS through that comprehensive strategy worked pretty well. Infection rates in Uganda dropped from about 15 percent to 5 percent from 1991 to 2001. But then President Bush's big high-profile push to help fight AIDS in Africa ended up coming with a big catch. American conservatives wanted the focus to be on abstinence, not on condoms. It's the abstinence focus. If you want to stop the spread, the key best way to do it is abstinence. 
when Congress finally passed the big AIDS legislation that President Bush wanted, Republican Congressman Joe Pitts slipped in an amendment that said 33% of the funding, 33%, could only be used for abstinence programs. Fully a third of that money earmarked only for abstinence. Even as American research consistently demonstrated that abstinence programs just don't work. As religious conservatives were pushing abstinence on places like Uganda from Washington, internationally minded, politically connected American conservative evangelicals began focusing on Uganda as well. Evangelicals like American pastor Rick Warren and his Saddleback Church. Evangelicals like The Family, which we've talked about on this program with Jeff Charlotte. The Family, of course, the secretive religious organization that runs the C Street Dormitory for lawmakers in Washington. It's led by a man named Doug Coe. Republican Senator James Inhofe of Oklahoma credits Doug Coe with launching his own activism in Africa. Doug has always been kind of behind the scenes and very quiet. He taught me into going to Africa and I had no interest in going to Africa. Religious conservatives saw Uganda specifically as a place that they could have some real influence. Uganda's first lady became an emphatically born-again Christian. Her husband, the president, is believed to have serious ties to the family. Same goes for the ethics minister of Uganda, as well as a number of legislators there. One of Uganda's most prominent pastors began speaking at Rick Warren's megachurch in California. He became so close with Warren that Rick Warren's wife reportedly called him her brother. And while American Christians were courting that Ugandan pastor here, touting their own compassionate conservatism on the issue of AIDS in Africa, back in Uganda, that pastor was taking up the anti-condom cause, holding public bonfires of condoms, conducting some of the most extreme anti-gay preaching and activism anywhere in the world. Evangelicals and conservative politicians in this country saw Uganda as a place that they could leave their mark. Senator Sam Brownback traveled there to look into the AIDS issue in 2005. Senator James Inhofe made at least 20 trips to Africa just since 1999, mostly to Uganda as well as Ethiopia. In March of this year, a group of three American evangelicals traveled to Uganda for a conference on the evils of homosexuality. Their message was that homosexuality is a choice, that it can be cured by a relationship with Jesus, that in short, you can pray the gay away. There's been a dual effort underway here, anti-gay proselytizing by American evangelicals and assurances from conservative American politicians that we can solve that nation's AIDS problem. The culmination of these efforts, this massive focus on Uganda, is a piece of legislation that's been introduced in that country now that attempts, it says, to tackle the AIDS problem in that country and the problem of homosexuality all at once. It's a bill that calls for the execution of any gay Ugandan who is HIV positive who is caught having gay sex. It's death by hanging, specifically. And it's not just gay Ugandans who are HIV positive who are being targeted. The sentence just for being gay is life imprisonment. The sentence for knowing somebody is gay and not reporting them to authorities, presumably so they can be prosecuted, is three years in prison. This bill was written by a Ugandan legislator reportedly taken in by Republican Senator James Inhofe and the family here in America. Having lit this fuse and created this environment in Uganda where a bill like this can exist, some American evangelicals and conservative politicians are now sort of washing their hands of the whole situation. Pastor Rick Warren saying, quote, it's not my personal calling as a pastor in America to comment or interfere in the political process of other nations. The evangelical leaders who went there in March now saying their intent was not at all to inspire this type of legislation. 
But what about all of the conservative politicians in this country who have shown themselves to have such influence in Uganda and who have decided to concern themselves so publicly with this one specific country in Africa? Now that there's a bill in that country that calls for the execution of people who are gay in that country for the simple fact of being gay, those politicians maybe should say what they think about it. Family-linked Senator Tom Coburn's office telling us today that the senator does not support the legislation. When we asked his office whether he would communicate that to officials in Uganda where it might matter, the senator had no comment. Family-linked Congressman Bart Stupak's office telling us, quote, any claim that I support the legislation before the Ugandan parliament is as clueless as it is false. Mr. Stupak's office adding that he believes the State Department is looking into it. Indeed, the State Department telling us exclusively today that they are looking into the matter, saying, quote, if adopted, a bill further criminalizing homosexuality would constitute a significant step backwards for the protection of human rights in Uganda. The State Department tells us that they are in the process of raising this issue with Ugandan authorities. Now, the office of Congressman Joe Pitts, who slipped in that pro-abstinence language telling us today, who slipped in that pro-abstinence language in, in, in the Bush AIDS bill, he told us today, quote, what the Ugandan legislation proposes to do is unambiguously wrong, and I hope they will not proceed with it. These statements, of course, encouraging. Some other senators remaining silent on the issue as yet. Senator John Ensign's office, for example, told us today they could not get an answer from him on this issue because he's been so focused on health care. We've made repeated calls to the offices of Senator James Inhofe and Senator Sam Brownback. We have yet to hear back from either of them on this issue, despite the fact that they've been so proudly outspoken on issues affecting Uganda and specifically sexuality in Uganda in the past. Conservative politicians and evangelicals in this country have made a really big push into Africa in recent years, and they've even been very delighted to get some political acclaim as compassionate conservatives for having done so. When a human rights disaster like this is born in that country that they've taken so much pride in showing off their influence in, in a country they have been intimately involved in, it could be argued that it is incumbent upon those politicians to at least say what they think about that legislation, if not take action in that country in which they have such influence. We'll keep you posted on what we hear from them, their future actions, or lack thereof. Don't like a direction you are going to. Audible supports this program, and it's a great fit because I've used them for years. As a member of Generation Y and an avid consumer of audio, I've all but lost the ability to read, so I depend on Audible for nearly all of my pleasure reading via their huge selection of audiobooks, periodicals, and so much more. For listeners of Best of the Left, they are offering a free audiobook download of your choice. Simply visit audiblepodcast.com best. You may have heard similar promotions discussed on other podcasts, so make no mistake, this is a popularity contest. Forsake the other programs you like and support this tiny, independently produced show by using my special URL, audiblepodcast.com slash best.
It's the Onion Radio News. A leftover Christmas billboard stirs a seasonally inappropriate emotion. This is Doyle Redland reporting. St. Louis architect Steve Barillo felt a momentary flush of seasonally incongruous holiday spirit today when he saw a Christmas-themed billboard on South Broadway. Barillo says the experience was fairly bewildering. The sign was advertising the St. Louis Ballet's performance of the Nutcracker, and for a second I felt a stirring desire to volunteer for a charity and spread goodwill amongst my fellow men. But then it was like, ah, screw it. Barillo added that they really ought to take the billboard down before someone goes out and spends quality time with loved ones. Doyle Redland for The Onion Radio News. I think that the news here is the fact that it's in the news. Rachel Maddow on her, on her program for on MSNBC has for some months been pointing out that in Uganda there's a piece of legislation working its way through the legislature that would that would subject gay people to the death penalty to hanging the kill the gay bill is how she refers to it and it's been pretty much only covered on her program and on a few progressive talk radio shows like this one well now the new york times has picked it up and it even appeared in today's uh, oregonian our local newspaper here last march and th- and this is i mean this is a true story but the fact that it's now in the mainstream news is news. And I think this is really interesting. Last March, three, this is how the story reads. Last March, three American evangelical Christians whose teachings about curing, in quotes, homosexuals, have been widely discredited in the United States, arrived here in, in Uganda's capital to give a series of talks. The organizer was a guy named Stephen Langa, a Ugandan. And he says, for three days, according to participants in audio recordings, thousands of Ugandans, including police officers, teachers, and national politicians, listened to the Americans who were presented as, quote, experts, end quotes, on homosexuality. One month later, the anti-homosexuality bill of 2009 was passed, which will kill gays, subject gays to the death penalty. The three Americans who spoke at the conference, Scott Lively, Caleb Lee Brundridge, Scott Lively has written several anti-homosexuality books. Caleb Lee Brundridge, a self-described former gay man who leads the healing movement. And Don Schmirer, a board member of Exodus International, which is another one of these anti-gay so-called Christian groups. And they wrap this up by saying, human rights advocates in Uganda say the visit of these three Americans helps set in motion what could become a dangerous cycle gay Ugandans already describe, a world of blackmail, death threats like die sodomite scrawled on their homes, constant harassment, beatings, and even so-called correctional rape. The Reverend Kampia Keoma, a Zambian who went undercover for six months to, in Uganda to see what was going on. He said, what these people have done is set a fire they can't quench. 
these people being these three Americans, these three evangelical Americans, these three men who now who, who have blood on their hands, these three men who, if they really are Christians and really believe the philosophy that they're espousing of Christianity, must be quaking in their boots and believing that they are going to spend the rest of their lives in hell. Scott Lively, Caleb Lee Brundridge, and Don Schmierer, because their actions, their spreading homophobia, their whipping up fear and hatred in order to advance their own cause here in the United States, in order to increase their own fundraising, in order to increase their own fame and popularity, these three men are causing gay Ugandans to be murdered. And, are, and may well cause the murder of gay Ugandans to be institutionalized as law. This is as bad as it gets. And, you know, thank goodness it's finally made its way into the mainstream media. And hopefully these, these three scumbags, these three subhuman so-called, these three anti-Christians... These are the kind of, you know, when Jesus went into the temple, when he quartered up the ropes, he went into the temple and started whipping people and, and, and tables and knocking over the tables of the money changers. These are the kind of people that Jesus would have been going after. Scott Lively, Caleb Lee Brundridge, and Don Schmierer. Sure, maybe it's Schmierer. They, they have a lot to account for, these guys. You can run on for a long time. Run on for a long time, run on for a long time. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. Sooner or later, gotta cut you down. You can now support this podcast as easily as by shopping online. The next time you need to make a purchase of just about anything, simply visit bestofleft.com and use our Amazon.com search box to find what you're looking for. The search box is located right on the side of the website. You can't miss it. When you make your purchase, we get a little commission. It's just another effortless, completely free way for you to help keep the show going strong. Thanks for your support. I've been down on bended knee, talking to the man from Galilee. He spoke to me with a voice so sweet. I thought I heard the shuffle of angels sweet. He called my name and my heart stood still. When he said, John, go do my will. Go tell that long-tongued liar. You can see why Christian conservatives might be in a bit of a funk. Democrats control the White House and both houses of Congress. So now Liberty Council, which is associated with the late Jerry Falwell's Liberty University, has launched an Adopt a Liberal program, and it's asking people to pray that God will steer leaders to the right. NPR's Barbara Bradley Haggerty has more. As head of Liberty Council, Matt Staver spends his time fighting for Christian causes in court. He frets constantly about what he sees as the liberal drift of the country. So recently, he decided to pull out the heavy artillery, prayer. We believe in the power of God. We are commanded to pray for our leaders, even those that we disagree with. So we are asking people to pray so that poor leaders are restored to right thinking. So far, the Adopt a Liberal program includes 11 leaders. There are two Republicans, Senator Olympia Snow and Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger, for their stands on same-sex marriage, but most are Democrats, President Obama, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, and Congressman Barney Frank, 
who, Staver says, promotes a gay agenda. But we also believe that Barney Frank was created in the image of God, and we ought to pray for him. So we believe in miracles. Frank was unaware he was the object of prayer. They uh, didn't bother to tell me. Maybe they thought I would find out by revelation. Frank doubts God is a conservative and says God certainly should not be used as a partisan weapon. Liberty Council is planning to create trading cards of liberals, which, like baseball cards, will have photos and information about him and others. Frank is intrigued. In other words, if people got one of me, they could trade for like 11 Hillary Clintons and three Arnold Schwarzeneggers. The only adopted liberal not in government is Matt Staver's nemesis, Barry Lynn, who runs the watchdog group Americans United for the Separation of Church and State. As a Christian minister myself, I'm always happy to accept the prayers of other people, particularly when they're not calling for my death or dismemberment. Lynn says this is way better than the prayers that some right-wing ministers have flung at him, that his teeth will fall out and his legs would break. He adds that he would defend Staver's prayerful attempt to convert him in court. And one of the great things about our principle of separation of church and state is that people can pray for people whether they like it or not. Still, Lynn says Staver should not expect a political conversion for him or anyone on the list. Staver says he won't hold his breath, although he says some liberals, such as radio host Alan Combs, have asked to be put on the prayer list. So anybody else who wants to be nominated on this list are free to do so. We would be happy to add you. So just send some biographical information and don't forget a picture. Zimbabwe killed a man by the name of Kupemba. Mm -hmm. All right. They shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have killed him. They killed him because um, they were going to use his penis and other body parts as part of a magic potion. Well, obviously. They, well, at least they had a good reason. Though. Right, right, right. Um, well, well, can I ask what the magic potion was going to do? I don't know. It's. I, I mean, I don't follow this religion, but here, let me tell you exactly what it is. The shop owners admitting to having chopped off his private parts, little fingers, tongue, and a patch of hair for the preparation of a traditional medicine to boost their businesses. Oh, okay, well, look. Yes. I mean, they're, they're, of course, they're, uh, the economy was hurting in Zimbabwe at the time. And if you got to chop a penis or two to, you know, improve your business. And pinky fingers. You know, I guess it makes some degree of sense. But right. my guess is that the family of this gentleman was not altogether that pleased with what happened. Right. They were extremely upset and they were haunted by Kupemba's uh, spirit. No, no, wait. Let's get this straight now. 
Kupemba's family is very upset. Right. But the shop owners are haunted by Kupemba's spirit. Right, right, right. Okay, so... Very important to get yes. that. Yes, okay. So according to traditional belief, a murderer's relatives need to appease a dead person's spirit with virgin girls. Well, obviously. Right? What so, else would you appease it with? Come on. Sometimes as young as six years old. All right? Uh, the virgin girl has to live with the murdered person's family no matter her age. When she reaches puberty, she is made the wife of one of the male members of the new family. Yeah. Now, look. Back in the day, I I'm going to start by somewhat defending this, and that sounds crazy, right? But hold on. Hear me out. Back in the day... They had to. Ha they didn't have. They didn't even have government, right? All across the world, right? And they had to have informal government sometimes. And it was whether it was religious law that ruled, or tribal law, uh, or local customs. And they had to find a way of settling disputes. And so one. And back in the day, again, you would take whatever was the property or the or things of value from the other group if they did you harm. So if they killed your family member. But you would take, in this case, 22 cattle, I believe, mm -hmm. plus a virgin girl, right. right? And back in the day, that made some degree of sense, right? Now, when I say back in the day, I don't know, 2,000 years ago, 200 years ago, I hope not 200 years ago. But what am I talking about? They're still doing it today, and that doesn't make any kind of sense. And what drives me crazy, and honestly, if it's about the organized religions and how they follow the sky god that walked on water, right? Or these folks who are cutting off people's penises to improve their shop, and then but then being haunted by a spirit, and then giving away their virgin daughters at the age of nine, you know, in this particular case. No, you have to catch up to reality. I get where it came from. Don't get me wrong, okay? But at some point, you got to draw a line and say, hey, listen, i got to snap you out of this, because this doesn't make any fucking sense, okay? You're going to condemn those poor girls to go live in a place they don't own as soon as they reach puberty with a guy they don't know. Right. And, you know, it's just, it's sickening, man. Some customs are no good. Okay? Some customs are great and some customs suck. Okay? Female mutilation, genital mutilation, unacceptable. And if you say to me, unacceptable to who? I say, God damn it, you should be unacceptable to all of us. Okay? And you can't give away your virgin daughters. What the fuck are you doing? I mean, how old? It was nine, right? The youngest the one? The youngest one was nine, yes. All right. No, and no, it, it could be as low, as young as six, but in this case, the youngest happened to be nine. Right. And they were, what, what, five of them? Five of them, yeah. Let's backtrack, because we never even got to the story. So these villagers who ended up killing this guy gave up five of their five of their, five of the girls in their families. So um, the youngest girl was nine years old, and they were forced to go live with um, the family of this dead guy. And, I mean, there's been this huge controversy about it in Zimbabwe. Apparently, there are governmental organizations in Zimbabwe that prohibit this. But no one's ever been prosecuted, even though this happens all the time. And they went in this particular case and tried to resolve it. And then the, finally, the government arbitrator just gave up. And he said, look, they don't want me to resolve this because the families of the girls are absolutely convinced that the spirit is haunting them. And so they got to give away the girls to make it right. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, Anna, what are we supposed to do with cultures that are just flat-out fucking wrong? Okay, this is going to sound really bad, but as I read this story, and we're about to do a story on Malaysia next, right? As I'm reading these stories, I think about a Marxist theory. It's known as a dependency theory, right? 
And the dependency theory states that there are three different types of countries. There's the core, semi-periphery, and periphery. Periphery countries are the undeveloped, uh, very, very traditional and back-in-time countries that never get to become core countries because they're stuck in this old-fashioned mindset. They don't let themselves develop, you know, technology-wise, religion-wise. You know, they're just very, very uh, old-fashioned in their way of thinking. So, you know, core countries would look at this and say, this is good because they're never going to become a superpower. They're never going to become a hegemon, you know, and it's a very realist way of thinking as well. But I don't know. That's what I thought of the entire time. Like this, I mean, they're doing themselves really, really bad here. They really need to get out of this mindset. Uh, yeah, well, of course, I thought of that same political theory. I'm glad you brought it up first. I don't know okay. why I thought of that. But right. I... Now, the thing is, with that theory, based on how you're describing it to me, right. it's a short-term thing. Right. I mean, what, forever? 2,000 years from now? 20,000? 200,000? They're still going to be giving away virgin daughters to appease the spirits of the dead? No. That's right. ridiculous. But they're, but they're still very slow in their development. Right now they are, right? And so some people might get angry and say, hey, who are you to judge their culture, right? But I, I, I believe in the culture wars. I don't mean physical wars, but I mean war of ideas. And these ideas are horrible, okay? And somebody has to fight against them. And somebody, for the sake of the people of Zimbabwe, say, hey, listen, there are no effing spirits. You're not being haunted. You're probably having bad business because you're a clown who thinks you could have good business by cutting somebody else's nads off, okay? So if you're that stupid, probably your business sucks because you're a moron, okay? So I need to tell you how to really run a business so you can make money and stop worrying about the spirits and killing other people and chopping them to pieces and then giving away your poor daughters. And that's the thing that pisses me off the most because the guys who did the killing, they get away scot-free. It's not a problem at all. Right. Who has to pay the price? Their poor daughters. Right. And they think, well, well, obviously the spirits have to be at peace. <laughs> no, can't have it, man. Can't do it. Can't play with it. Can't win with it. No way. Hell no. All right. So that is what it is. You know, some of you might find it obvious and some of you might find it offensive. But uh, I, I believe that certain cultures are wrong and that we got to go and fight against them. And I don't mean the whole culture, but I mean certain portions of the culture that are dangerous uh, to people's well-being. You're wrong about virtues of Christianity. And you're wrong if you agree with Sean Hannity. If you think that pride is about nationality, you're wrong. You're wrong when you imprison people turning tricks. And you're wrong about trickle-down economics If you think that punk rock doesn't mix with politics You're wrong You're wrong for hating queers And eating steers If you kill for the thrill of the hunt You're wrong about wearing fur And not hating and culture Christ returns to the NBA. It's the Onion Radio News. I'm Doyle Redland. After two years in the desert, Jesus Christ returned to pro basketball last night playing with the Hawks. Atlanta fans are calling Jesus the team's savior, and players are welcoming Christ into their hearts. Forward Stacy Augman. Uh, he taught me to love my enemies, to pray for those who hurt me. 
and uh, pass up the three-pointer in favor of a higher percentage shot. During the game, fans were treated to Christ's famous ascension dunk, where the Son of God miraculously ascends toward heaven, floats in midair, then stuffs the ball hard. Doyle Redland for The Onion, Radio News. American government is going to go to Zimbabwe oh, and stop this? No. Hell no. They have no interest in Zimbabwe right now. So why would no. they do that? <laughs> no, no, no. So, I, I mean, no, no, no. I mean as humanity. I don't mean that America should go bomb Zimbabwe to straighten this thing out. Okay, okay so what's your solution? No, uh, my solution is uh, education. And my solution is uh, nonprofits and, and charities and etc. that go to educate folks. Now, you don't even have to go into Zimbabwe you know, proverbial guns blazing, saying, your culture is wrong like I am, right? And you stop doing that, you're a fucking moron, right? Okay, that's not, probably not the best way to handle it. But somebody's got to say that to motivate people to understand what the problem is. That's what I think my role is. But how you handle it productively is you go give them books, science books, math books, history books, right? Bomb them with books. And I think it's a long process, it's not going to happen overnight. But if you educate the world, you're going to get rid of a lot of these asinine uh, ways of thinking. And look, and then some people are against it in our own culture. Don't think our culture is high and mighty. Why? Because they don't believe in science. And they don't want people to get educated. Because if you get educated, you're not, you, what's to stop you from saying, all right, look, you know, your spirit thing is goofy. But how about my own spirit thing? I mean, Christianity has something called the Holy Spirit. And so, don't get me wrong, I'm judging everybody, okay? And once and you get to that, then everybody goes ballistic and goes, no, 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 my God and my spirits make sense. Those Zimbabwe clowns, they don't make sense. And every single country has this. I mean, it's not like Zimbabwe is the only country and the United States is the only country that has, you know, lunatics that don't believe in science, that are super religious and are extreme in, in their beliefs. This is all over the world. So. That's, ex that's exactly right, and that's part of what I mean by the culture wars, okay? We fight for science, we fight for truth and facts and reality, okay? And all these different cultures, they fight for their, you know, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to listen to that. I'm going to listen to my sky god, or I'm going to listen to my spirits, or the, you know, I'm going to give away my daughters, or whatever is happening. And I'm against all of those. I'm not just against Christianity as a religion. Uh, Islam, Judaism, Zimbabwe, clown religion, okay, all of them. No, you no, know, I'm on the side of reality, and I'm against those who are against reality. I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your house. I'm coming to your hut. I'm coming to your hut. Jake. I'm going to attack it. <laughs> all right, that's bad. That's wrong. Yes, that's wrong. Okay, but I, I but I agree with your sentiment though. I I read this story, mm -hmm. and I thought, thank God, I live in America. Right. Because don't get me wrong, we got, just as I, I said now, we have those same clowns here, okay? Now you say, oh, they're not the same. 
We have extremists here. There's no question about that. I mean, it's got, all right, look. They're not giving, at least they're not chopping people up, and they're not giving away their daughters. So, yes, that's a fair point. Okay, that, they're not the same. But they do believe in mythical creatures and spirits that control your fate and how you have to pray to them. I mean, we got a general, General William Boykin, is at that stupid conservative conference, saying how he sits in his office every day and all he does is pray. Motherfucker, you're a general. That's not what you're supposed to do. You know, God, where should I go? Who should I bomb? I know, I know, I know. Okay, I mean, but I don't believe for one second that that's what he really does. He's doing that because he wants to be accepted within. You know, no, no, no. Little... He's a lunatic. General Boykin's a lunatic. He does do that. Okay. You believe that he's no, in the no. room and prays he, all day long. He, he says it. He said it in his speech. He said, uh, my... "I know, I know." People say a lot of things, but they don't mean it. And by the way, we invaded Iraq and killed hundreds of thousands of people, uh -huh. okay? And and George Bush said to uh, Chirac before the invasion, the French president, he said, uh, you know, uh, it says in the Bible that, you know, I even forget that Gog or Magog or whatever has to go through Iraq and da-da-da. And Chirac looked at him like, what the fuck? Is this guy a lunatic? Mm -hmm. He's going to invade Iraq because of Gog and Magog? You know, so, I mean, don't, I, I'm getting on the guys in Zimbabwe, but we got to get on our guys even more because we have more power. Now, all of that being said, at least in this country, you get to choose, right? Mm -hmm. And I choose sanity, and I love that about this country, okay? So, I mean, obviously, some people in Zimbabwe get to choose, too, but they got to run around with these guys and watch out for their penis. Yeah. All right, and their daughters. All right, all right, sorry. Now, worked out, but I'm going to continue. Malaysia now. All right, Malaysia. Um, 32 year old woman by the name of Kartika uh, was drinking on the beach. She was drinking um, beer, I believe. And uh, Malaysia basically wants to cane her. Mm -hmm. uh, Sharia law in Malaysia has ruled that uh, caning her will go forward. She's not allowed to drink beer because it's uh, against their religion. She's a cutie. She's really pretty. Um, but they're saying that they're not... Look, I do not agree with this at all. It's absurd, right? Mm -hmm. But they're trying to justify it by saying that they're going to cane her with a thin stick on the back, and it would largely be symbolic. Mm -hmm. uh, normally, if they're really angry at you, they bring a thick stick, right. and they th throw it on your ass, and uh, they make sure that your uh, buttocks are bare so it rips skin. So likely this will not rip skin. But again, God, you know... I don't want to live in a country where people are telling me what to do and what not to do in terms of what I do with my own private life that doesn't hurt anybody else. And then if I disagree with them, they're going to go ahead and cane me? I mean, this, look, it's not all Muslims by a long shot. It's a particular interpretation of Islam, and it's certainly not all Muslim countries. It's not even all of Malaysia. In ten provinces in Malaysia, this is not allowed. But caning is allowed in three provinces, okay? But in those provinces once again we have to fight them going around caning people for drinking especially women but anybody of course it's, it's insanity man it it I just it's so frustrating that we're set in this medieval mindset oh no 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 this dude that lived in the Arabian Peninsula 1400 years ago got mad at his guys for getting too drunk one night and t told us that God told him not to drink so when you're a grown-ass adult in Malaysia and you decide to have a sip of beer, I'm going to cane you in the back. I cannot describe to you how profoundly stupid that is.
So if that offends your sense of Islam, no, Jenk, you don't understand. The sky God told me 1,400 years ago, or he didn't tell me, but he told Muhammad, and I trust him. Now, I'm going to get, oh, God. Should we take a break and come back to fun stories? Because this has, like, been a downer hour. <laughs> Man, don't get me started on Islam. How do you, and I know we got a lot of Muslims who watch the show, and I don't want you to take it the wrong way. I'm not attacking Muslims. My whole family is Muslim, okay? My mom is a believer, okay? And everybody I know, every uncle, every aunt, every cousin, everybody I love is Muslim, okay? Uh, within my family. But the religion is madness. It's insanity. The dude claimed to talk to God in the desert 1,400 years ago, and then other people claimed today, wrote down what he said, and you're still trying to follow that? And he did it. Why? Because he wanted... Because he wanted more women, and he wanted more land, and he got both of those. He was a very clever guy. I respect him for being that clever. But you're still trying to follow the things he said? Oh, that is so... I don't want to say it's stupid, because that's not fair. That's what you were brought up in. That's what you were brainwashed into, okay? But it's not true. I'm begging you to reconsider. It's not true. Live rationally. Don't live based on asinine rules from thousands of years ago. Thanks for listening, everybody. So when I was in junior high or somewhere thereabouts, all of like... 12 or 13 years ago, I read a book called The Prince of Tides. It's a fairly famous book, so there's a decent chance you've heard of it. I don't know how many people have read it, but I read this book based on a recommendation from my brother, and, you know, I liked it. Um, for God's sakes, please don't go out and uh, rent the movie and, and feel like you got a, a sense of what the story was like at all. Uh, it's a horrific movie rendition of the story uh, with Barbara Streisand of all people so um, please don't do that so I read this book and I still remember very vividly that you know somewhere in the middle of the book there was a, a tiny bit of a cliffhanger was left in the story it, you know, it was something along the lines of foreshadowing, you know, something like a cliffhanger, like you knew that big news was there and like you kind of understood that there was supposed to be some message coming through, but it was very subtle. And and I, I, want, I, I couldn't figure out what it was. Um, thinking back on the situation, I think maybe if I had been older, I would have caught on. But being as young as I was, I didn't quite get it. And so as I continued to read, it didn't come back to that reference for a long time. And you didn't you didn't figure out what that was supposed to mean. At least I didn't. And, you know, as I said, maybe I should have figured it out sooner. But I found it incredibly distracting. It was it was actually genuinely difficult to to read the book because, and you know, and it's like hundreds of pages long. So as I was reading, I was actually kind of constantly uh, distracted by this curiosity of what was that? What were they referring to? What am I missing? You know, so anyways, so I was reminded of this and obviously it had an, an impact on me because I remember it so many years later. So I was reminded of that today as I was preparing this show 
as I thought back to the previous show in which I mentioned that there was like giant earth shattering news that had happened to me and uh, to the show and by extension to all of you. And, you know, in the same way that a butterfly flaps its wings on one side of the globe, it can cause a hurricane on the other. I mean, this news could, uh, you know, ripple outwards and, uh, you know, through this show and impact you and your loved ones. And, uh, you know, who knows the, the ramifications this news could have. And so I was reminded of my my feeling kind of ill at ease when I read The Prince of Tides when I thought about how I had mentioned this big news in the previous show but not told you what it was and so I felt kind of bad about that and so I decided in in this show that I just I wouldn't bring it up because I didn't want to cause any any discomfort like that so I just felt like I should kind of tell that story to to give a little bit of an explanation as to why I wasn't bringing up um, you know the, the giant news that I can't talk about yet so with that little story out of the way I just wanted to mention if you are one of the fine folks who have gone out and purchased the uh, best of left application for your iPhone or iPod touch I wanted to mention that the bonus clip for the day is another clip from Rachel Maddow actually doing more great reporting on the Uganda case and the clip that was heard in this show was actually part two of her reporting series so the bonus clip today is another like four and a half or five minute clip that was actually the first one she did so that was when she kind of opened up this whole story to her audience in the first place so it's a great clip definitely check that out of course members who have signed up have access to the members only raw feed so that clip will be in there as well it'll be actually part of the bonus material feed the raw feed is a great feature for, for members. They get all of the content that ends up going into the show, audio and video. And now that this you know great members-only feature has uh, recently received a big upgrade, you can actually get these all of these things separately, including just the bonus material. So just stuff like this Rachel Maddow clip when she broke this Uganda story on her show, it's not going to end up being used in the big podcast, but it is there as bonus material just for the members. Which of course leads to me thanking a couple of members. So I want to thank Jeanette C who signed up uh, above and beyond the Call of Duty. Basic membership is just $5 a month. Jeanette decided to go uh, beyond that just to help out the show. And she signed up on November 23rd. And then Chris Y was the very last member of 2009 to sign up. And he signed up for a full year. So Chris, I'm hoping you'll be renewing your membership again next new year's eve so that is actually going to do it for today and i just want to say of course that there are so many ways that you can uh, support this show and keep it going strong there are too many things to even mention anymore of course the number one thing you can do is just stay subscribed and then tell all your friends to listen to the show but if you're feeling like you want to do a little bit more check out bestofleft.com and there's a whole support box that grandly displays everything I could possibly want from anyone from, you know, donating a couple of bucks or becoming a member or leaving reviews in iTunes, voting at Podcast Alley every month. Everything's listed right there. So you don't have to remember me from saying it. I mentioned Twitter and Facebook. And of course, Best of Left has a presence on both of those sites. So join up with us there. And finally, for all the information you could possibly want about the show you just listened to or any of our episodes, 
all the show notes, including links to the sources we use and links uh, direct to iTunes for all the music used in the, in the show is available right in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway and border yet somehow still outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay, and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every Wednesday and every weekend, only thanks to our members and donors from bestoftheleft.com. Hi, my name is Mike. Can I have your ears for a real short rant? This message is totally unsolicited. In fact, the only way you could be hearing my message right now is because Jay heard this very same recording and gave me a little space. So, thanks, Jay. Hey, talk about penny-pinching in this economy. I've whittled down a normal middle-class existence to my current bare-bones income, and I do it on early Social Security retirement. That's 25% less than regular Social Security. $5 is a lot of money to me, but I consider it important enough to give those dollars to Jay every month to further his great program, the twice-weekly Best of the Left podcast. So if you could possibly squeeze a subscription into your budget, do it. Hey, if I can come up with a fiver every month, I think most people can. And if you can't, keep listening, do those free things that Jay asks you to do, and then subscribe when you can. Thanks.